Tonight I'd like to ask you to again turn in your Bibles to two passages of Scripture. One is found in Isaiah 43, the other is in Galatians chapter 6. Isaiah 43 and Galatians chapter 6. We're speaking tonight on the subject. What do we do and what does God do with our burdens? And what can we do about them? Now we began this message last Sunday night and I did not have an opportunity to finish. And so this is part two of that same message. And I want to bring just a brief review of some of the things we discussed last Sunday night and then continue to a climax or close of this message tonight. What does God do with our burdens? What do we do with our burdens? The choir sang a while ago, burdens were lifted at Calvary, this special group. How fitting. Brother Lloyd told us, I cannot bear these burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. Now in Isaiah chapter 43, beginning with verse 22, but thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the sheep of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices, but thou hast burdened me with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. Now, in your Bible, the word that I read, burdened, thou hast burdened me with thy sins. In your Bible it says, made me to serve. Now, basically that's what a burden is. A burden is something you cast on somebody else. Now, burdens are cast upon us. We identified burdens last Sunday night as heartaches, difficulties, brokenness, sin, shame, mistakes, tragedies, illnesses. All of these are burdens. And we have the Lord saying through Isaiah to his people, you have burdened me with your iniquities and with your sins. You have wearied me. You have burdened me. Now isn't that an interesting statement? What does God do with our burdens? When we say take your burden to the Lord and leave it there, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he will sustain thee. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. What do we mean by all that? Well, if you have ever been to the Middle East and you've seen the camels, the camels carry unbelievable burdens. Um, they carry, they're the work animal, like the oxen in some places. Now the, bird, the camel, of course, people ride camels like we ride horses. But, but camels also are loaded down with big loads, big burdens. And they carry those burdens over the desert sands. They carry them from much distance. And they come at the end of the day. The camel kneels. One of the most beautiful things is to see a, a camel at the close of the day come to his master and he, his front two knees go down. He just kneels. And his master takes that burden from him and cast it aside, and the camel is free of the burden. Now that's a beautiful picture of what it means to cast our burdens upon the Lord. When the camel gets up from his knees, 
He doesn't have that burden anymore. It's not there. One of our problems is we take our burdens to the Lord and then we pray about them a little bit and we pick them up and put them back on and we carry them and we carry them and we carry them until we get weary with them. And it drags us down and discourages us and defeats us. Now, an interesting statement that God has made, he says, you weary me with, your, with, with the burdens you cast upon me. All the iniquities and the sin, you burden me with it. What am I going to do with it? And that's what we dealt with last Sunday night. And the answer is in that same chapter, verse 25, I, even I, am he who blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance, let us plead together, declare thou that thou mayest be justified. And then he says in Micah, I have taken these burdens and these sins and cast them into the depths of the sea. I've put them behind my back. I remember them against you no more. And the reason he is able to do that is because of Calvary. We sang a little while ago, because of Calvary, my soul is free. My sins are burdened. My, my sins are, are forgiven. I, I am free in Christ. And if you have taken your sin to the Lord and left it there, he has cleansed you and forgiven you. Why go on with the same guilt? The devil over and over again tries to cast that in your teeth. He tries to accuse you. You see, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. His big job is to point a finger at you and laugh. He sets traps for you so he can cause you to trip and lay your honor in the dust, and then he sits and laughs at you. And he says, ha, ha, ha. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't do that. If you were really a follower of Jesus Christ, you wouldn't allow that to happen. And so Satan begins to addle you and disturb you and make you wonder, well, am I really a child of God? Now that's Satan's business. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Whatever the burden. Everyone in this room tonight has a burden of some kind. Burdens are heartaches. Burdens are shame. Burdens are sin. Burdens are illnesses. Burdens are some terrible problem that has come into your life and you carry it around with you and it eats away at you and it bothers you and maybe you don't talk to anybody about it you feel it inside of you and you do not know what to do with it and you're nervous and you walk the floor and you're jittery and you're restless and you don't know what to do take that burden to the Lord and leave it with him now open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 and we'll look at something just a fraction different in Galatians chapter 6, very interesting statements, almost a conflict if you don't understand what he's saying. And stay with me. Those first five verses, Galatians chapter 6, listen to this. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye who are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. There are three tremendous truths here. First of all, brethren, God's people, Christians, those who have been to Calvary, those who are God's children. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, and this is speaking of God's people. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Someone has said the Lord's army, the church, is the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. Somebody in God's army makes a mistake. 
Somebody in God's army missteps, crosses a line, transgresses a point. And instead of going to that one and individually trying to restore them, we gossip about them, we put them down, we put our thumbs on them and push them down further, and then we kick them, and then we disown them and disdain them and have little to do with them. Now, a person that does that to another is simply revealing that he is not a spiritual person. You don't have to ask. You just know because God tells you. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, and a fault is a burden. I won't ask you to lift your hands, but how many in this room tonight could say, I have been at fault in some things, and I know it was my fault. And it hurt. Terrible burden. Awful depression that comes with that burden. What do you do with it? Well, you make a beeline to Calvary, take it to Jesus and leave it there. But what do God's people do with it? So many times God's people hold it against us. They point accusing fingers. I read about, I didn't read about it, I heard this. I saw it, experienced it in, in the church years ago. Precious girl got pregnant out of wedlock. Now I want to preface what I'm going to say by saying I certainly don't condone that. If you've been here very long, you know I preach against that. But a precious girl got pregnant out of wedlock. And some of the good cistern of the church gossiped about it. And instead of going to her and loving her and tenderly helping her and trying to restore her, they built a wall. She felt alone. And the only people in the world that were her people were God's people. And she carried that burden and carried that burden until it separated her from God's people. And now she's out away from the Lord's people. We drove through Salem, Virginia the other night. I said to those that were in the car with me, this is the town where they used to burn witches. They had witch hunts and they burned witches. I don't believe in witchcraft. I don't believe in impurity. I believe God's people called by His name should live holy, godly lives. That's the purpose, that's the plan, that's the will of God. But brethren, when a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Reach out in love. You know somebody that has a drink problem? I hate liquor. I despise it. I don't know how anybody could ever vote for it, to legalize it. I take every stand I can against it, but I love the alcoholic. I love those people who have been overwhelmed with it, with the awful curse of liquor, of beer, of gin, and wine, and whiskey. It's all an enemy. You can't treat it neatly and nicely and say, I'm going to handle it well. Nobody handles it well. If it doesn't get you the influence you have on somebody else, it will get them. But my beloved friend tonight, I love those who have been overtaken by this awful enemy. I like to try to restore them. I ask our people not to go to saloons and whiskey places. and I even think, you know, I'm really fanatical. You know I don't have to tell you that. I think that God's people ought to eat in restaurants that don't sell liquor. Got plenty of them in Bowling Green. 
buy your food in places that don't sell it, if you can. But I want to tell you also that I've been to almost every saloon in Bowling Green. If you ever see me in a saloon, you'll know I've not gone there to get a Coke or a loaf of bread or gone in there to ask them a favor. I've gone in to love them. Give some gospel tracts out and invite some of those owners to Jesus, to the, to the church. One of the big beer men in town, I witnessed to him for a long time. And finally, in the hospital, he gave his heart to Christ. Invited him to church. He came to church some. Now, I believe when he really gets right with God, God will change his mind about that and he'll give up that business. And to fellowship in the Lord's church and to make your, your, your wealth or your living and your money doing something that is immoral is inconsistent. But we need to reach out and restore people. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now listen, what does a person do to be forgiven? Do you know that the Bible teaches, now listen, some of you will not like this. I love you anyway, thank you. The Bible teaches that there's one basic cause for divorce. Jesus said that causes adultery or fornication. Wait a minute now. He did not say that it was necessary to divorce because of that. He said that's a cause, but there's something much better, that is to reach out and forgive. Forgive and restore. How many homes have crumbled and wreck and ruin because somebody made a mistake and some prudish, self-righteous man or woman said, well, I sure won't ever live with that person again. And you say, preacher, you know what you're saying? Yes, I do, because the Word of God says this. I'm not talking from experience. I'm talking just what the Word of God says. And God says that we're to forgive and to restore. Now, that doesn't mean that that gives that man or that woman the privilege of keeping on in that kind of lifestyle. I'm talking about somebody that will repent and turn away from it and turn to God. We need to reach out and receive because Christ receiveth sinful men. Which one in this room tonight has never sinned since you've been saved? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now there's another great truth in this scripture. Look at verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. And you know what that's saying? Brethren, bear ye one another's burdens, and don't get so highfalutin and so self-assured and so filled with pride and self-confidence that you say, look what that guy over there did. I could never do that. Pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Bear ye one another's burdens. Identify with those who are in trouble. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Laugh with those who laugh over godly things. And enter into the sorrow and hurt that others feel. There's a lot of sorrow in the world today. A lot of hurt. And we dare not treat it lightly. In this very room tonight are some who pass through dark, dark periods in your life. It's tough, but Jesus will make the roses to bloom again in the winter. 
He'll be with you and help you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Are you going through some especially tough time right now? Maybe you don't have enough money to pay your bills. Maybe your job is uncertain. Maybe you've been to a doctor and the doctor has told you some news that has disturbed you deep inside. And there's so many uncertainties, you don't know what to do. One minute you want to fight, another minute you want to just give up. Now listen, God's people, called by His name, will bear one another's burdens. That's what the church is. And beloved church, let's bear each other's burdens. You find somebody that's overtaking a fault, restore that one in the spirit of meekness. Love them. Reach out in love. You find somebody's going through a tough time, be there to help them. Now, one of the problems when we come to, you know, when a church is the size of maybe, a, maybe you have 10 in a church, you can know everybody real well. You have 20 in a church, you can know everybody pretty good. You have 100 in a church, well, it's a little bit harder, but you can still know but when you start having 150 and 200 and 300 and 400 500 600 you're going to be tempted to say well I don't know that brother over there I don't know that sister over there I don't know them now listen make it your business to know them that's the reason we have these hands of fellowship that's the reason we beg you don't get up and run out after church Come through the line, speak to everybody, get saved. Somebody makes a commitment to the Lord and spend a little while. Don't come to church and think, I'm just going to give God one hour and when that one hour is over, I'm going to race out the door. That preacher's taking enough of my time. I've got to go eat. Stay around a little while. Get to know God's people so you can know their burdens and their heartaches. How else will you fulfill that scripture? Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now we're coming to a third point in this lesson, in this passage. And listen to it. Verse 5. For every man shall bear his own burden. Now this is not a conflict. It doesn't say, bear ye one another's burdens, cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. And then every man must bear his own burden. That's something added and I guess that conflict with something else that's been said. No, no. It isn't a conflict at all. The scripture says that there are some burdens that you're going to have to bear. And we ought not to disdain these burdens. We need to recognize there are burdens that are going to come. Now, hold your finger there and turn to James chapter 1 for a moment. James chapter 1. Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith worketh patience. Another way of putting that would, my brethren, count it all joy when you have various burdens. Knowing this, that the testing of your faith worketh patience. Look down at chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. The word for temptation could be translated trial. It could be translated burden. Blessed is the man that endureth burdens. For when he is burdened, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now, there's some burdens that you're going to have to bear. Just because you come to Jesus and trust Him as your Savior doesn't mean you're not going to have any more burdens. Doesn't mean you won't have, ever have any more financial problems. Doesn't mean you won't ever have any more illnesses. We had a dear lady in our church a number of years ago. She used to always sit right over here. She's in heaven now. And she had a very serious pulmonary problem. Uh, she had gone with us to the Holy Land. She was here regularly, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It's all often went soul winning. Uh, she would come sometimes and say, Preacher, pray for me. I would like to be healed. 
Now, I'm sure she's expressed that to others. And one night she called me late in the night and she was weeping. And she said, I had some friends come and they stood around my bed and prayed for me. And they said, now, if you have enough faith, if you have enough faith, if you have enough faith, you'll be well. The reason you're sick is because you do not have faith. And she said, preacher, what is wrong with me? Why can I not have more faith so that I can be well? I went to see her the next day or so and shared with her some things from the Word of God. You see, God does not always promise to heal. God doesn't promise that. God doesn't always promise days without rain. I like the sunshine. If I had my way, it would either sunshine or snow. One of the two, every day. But God doesn't promise that. Some days there's going to be rain. Some days it's going to be cloudy, foggy. God does not promise healing every time. One of the burdens that we sometimes have to bear is illness or a physical frailty or an infirmity of the flesh. Paul had a thing like that. Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look what God says. Beginning in verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you see what that's saying? In verse 10, he says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a lame limb. Somebody said he limped. Others said he was hunchback, bent over. There's nothing handsome about Paul. The only thing handsome about him was his eloquence in preaching, and speaking, and writing. Hyman Appleman used to remind me of the Apostle Paul. He had a bulldog face, hardly ever smiled, looked at you, was, you know, sort of grumbled. But oh, when he preached, the power and eloquence of his message. Well, Paul may have been like that. Somebody said maybe Paul had poor eyesight. Others have said Paul may have had a melancholy spirit where he was depressed sometimes and discouraged and defeated and, 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 and didn't know how to deal with it. I don't know what his thorn in the flesh was, but I know he asked God three times, Lord, please remove this. I think I can be a better servant. I think I could be a better witness. I think I could work for you better if you just remove this thorn in the flesh. And you know what God said? God said no. Can you imagine God, gentle, gracious, wonderful, loving God saying no? God said no. But then God said, listen, God's no's are always followed by a message. God said no, but Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul said later, I rejoice in these burdens and all these heartaches and this illness and this difficulty and this problem because when I am weak, then I am strong. Now there's some burdens we'll have to bear. One of them is the burden of a physical infirmity. Franklin Roosevelt, in his early life, contracted polio. Now, most of you who are my age would know that, even though we were very young when he was president. He was the only president I knew the first 15 years of my life. He became president when I was three. He died when I was 15. I remember the day he died. It made a terrible impression on my heart. 
But did you know that all those years, in the teen years, I don't remember that he had polio. I don't remember him limping anywhere. Of course, we didn't have television in those days. But I always thought President Roosevelt was a strong man. He was sort of a hero. I, I look back now and don't agree with all the policies he had, but he was a hero. He was a powerful individual. And when he'd give those fireside chats and talk, and then he'd close it by saying, God bless you and pray for America. Well, I, I just thought we have a wonderful president. I didn't learn until later that he couldn't walk. They'd have to carry him out and put him in the car. He was in a wheelchair. But there was no greater, stronger man during those war years than Franklin Delano Roosevelt. In your weakness, there'll be strength. What are you going to do with these burdens? Some of them you'll have to bear. You can't shove them away. You can take them to Calvary, and if God doesn't lift the burden, then you'll have to bear it. But he'll give you the grace sufficient for it. A lot of burdens. Time would make it impossible for me to talk about all the burdens, the burden of temptation. There's not one person here that's going to be rid of temptation. Not anyone. You're going to die till your dying day. You're going to face temptation. Temptation to anger. Temptation to malice. Temptation to holding grudges. Temptation to lust. Temptation to a thousand other things. What are you going to do with the burden of temptation? You can take it to Calvary and leave it there, but it's still there. Here's the man who's been on alcohol. And he says, now I'm going to give this burden to Jesus and I'm going to ask him to help me and I'm going to turn away from drink. And he turns away from it and God gives him victory. I've known a number of alcoholics who have gotten saved and God changed them completely. But wait a minute. The temptation to drink is always there. And he has to sit on the grave where he buries that thing the rest of his life. Lest he take one little dram. And it come back to haunt him and hurt him and destroy him. See? What are you going to do with the burden? You have to bear it. Every man will bear his own burden. You can't get rid of it. You can go to psychiatrists and doctors and, and to preachers and to churches. You could go to faith healers and all of them. But there's some burdens you'll have to bear. And part of that burden is a discipline to say, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus and I'm going to let God help me with this thing. The burden of the work. Everybody has to work. <laughs> I've heard people grumble about their work. I just don't like my work. Don't like it. I don't like the way they treat me. They don't give me enough money. Talked to a man the other day, he was making $15 an hour. He said, I'm going to go on strike because I ought to get $20 an hour. Now, I'm not against the trade unions. They did a good thing for us, but there's a limit. Listen, don't grumble about your work. Thank God for it. It's a burden. The Bible says that because of the fall, every one of us, has to eke out his living by labor. Now, whether you labor in an office where you have to use your mind, or whether you labor on a battlefield where you have to use a gun, or whether you labor in a field where you have to plow and plant and harvest, wherever you labor, there's labor involved. Now, we've got to bear those burdens. When you go to work in the morning, don't grumble and complain. Say, thank you, Lord, I have a job. I may be making 50 cents an hour, thank you. I may be making uh, four, whatever the new wage law is, 425 or 35 or 85, whatever it is, I'm making that, thank you, Lord. Or maybe I'm making $5 an hour, $10 an hour. I'm glad I'm making anything. <laughs> thank God for a job. And you see, it's a burden. And you have to bear it. Now, many of uh, the people have jobs that they like. Thank God for that. 
I want to tell you, I love the work God called me into. I love it. I don't see how God could ever use me as a preacher, but I love it. I thank God for calling me to preach. I don't believe God will call you to do something you don't want to do if he calls you. I, I don't mean that you don't want to do it. I mean that he won't give you the grace to do it. I was scared to death when he called me to preach. I said I couldn't ever do that. But God gave me grace, and I love it. And, 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 and sometimes it's difficult to go and stand by people dying. But that's not a burden to me. I love it. If I can help a little bit. I never get used to funerals. They're always hard. Always hard. They drain me. They just take something out. But I want to tell you, I don't look at it as a burden. I look at it as an opportunity to enter into the sorrow and hurt of somebody else. Beloved, the work that we do is a burden that will be borne. And we can't get rid of it. There's the burden of illness. When your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain, you're almost sinking down in despair. God will help you. He'll be with you. One of the ladies in our church here tonight has dealt with a terrible illness for a number of years. Has been victorious through it all. Most of the time, even when she's in the hospital, even when she's taking severe treatments, you can hardly tell it because she's able to bear that burden. Folks, there are burdens that we're going to have to bear. And then there's the burden of old age. Who wants to grow old? <laughs> Somebody said, grow old along with me, the best is yet to be. Well, it becomes a burden, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know what any of you know about it because none of you are getting old in this room. But uh, sooner or later, old age creeps up. And it becomes a burden if you let it. Now, I, we have some older people in this church service tonight. I'm so proud of you. God bless you. You know, I've heard people say, well, I'm getting old. I can't go to church anymore. Now, it's not because they really can't. It's, it's all in their mind, psychologically. Ms. J.C. Reagan was 95 years old. Some of you who've been here for a while remember her. I've told you this story before. Herb Cobb and I were taking her home one Sunday morning from church and the door slammed on her finger. Oh, it hurt so much. And it hurt me that that happened. I was so sorry and Herb was so sorry and we just, we hurt so much and she was, you could tell she was in terrible pain. I always picked her up for train union. I went by that evening knowing that she couldn't come but I just wanted to sympathize with her and let her know I was praying for her and loved her. And here she was, she had her hat on, ready to go. And I said, well, Miss Ragan, you're not going to church tonight. Well, sure I'm going to church. I said, well, doesn't your finger hurt? Well, sure it hurts. But she said, it'll hurt just as much at home as it will at church. I want to go to church. Old age, yeah, it's going to come. It's going to be a burden if you let it. It can be a blessing. Methuselah lived to be 969 years. I don't know what he looked like at the end of his life. But I know that Moses lived a long time. And toward the end of his life, he went out to the battlefield, kept on working, and he, he, was, he was incapacitated a little bit. And so he got Aaron on one side and her on the other, and they held his hands up. And as long as they held his hands up, the battle went good. If they, went, if they got tired and let his hands down, the battle went against them. Which means that you need some burden bearers along with you when age comes. But you're going to have to face the burden of old age unless God takes you early in life. Somebody said, I don't like old age, but I sure don't like the alternative. And then there's the burden of sorrow. There's not one person in this room tonight who's going to escape that. It comes. If it hasn't come to you, it's coming. Mother, daddy, brother, sister, husband, wife, son or daughter, grandmother, grandfather, somebody's going to go from your family. And you're going to have to go and make funeral arrangements. 
Now, I don't mean to be morbid tonight, but you can allow that to burden you and get you down and defeat you and discourage you to the point where you can't ever get on top of circumstances again, or you can say this is a burden. Sorrow is a burden. It's a heartache. It, it hurts. It hurts in the inner person. It drains you. It, it's, it, it takes away your strength. But what are you going to do about it? We can say glibly take that burden to the Lord and leave it there. And we can do that. And yet there's a burden of sorrow that we still have to bear. And to describe sorrow, difficult. It just hurts. It hurts inside. And there are tears. There's some of you in this room tonight who have been through sorrow. Maybe it's been years and it still hurts. There's some burdens. Every man must bear his own burden. There's some burdens we have to bear. And then there's the burden of the consequences of sin. The burden of the consequences of sin. Do you know, if we could just say to every young person, listen to what I say. Just listen and learn. You know, there's some sins I've not had to be involved in because I listened to other people. I've never been bitten by a snake because I never played with snakes. My favorite snake is a dead one. If I have half a chance, I'll either get away or get him gone. But, you know, if we could just say to young people, watch who you date. Watch your peers, who your friends are. Because when you surround yourself with people who don't care how they live, they run in the fast lane, they run out there and cruise all night. They're involved in things of careless living. They're going to gobble you up and you're going to be involved in some things that you'll have to remember the rest of your life and you'll live under those circumstances and you'll have to bear the consequences of that sin. I don't care if you take it to Calvary and leave it with Christ and ask him to cleanse you and forgive you. He will do that, but there's a certain scar you'll have to bear. And it's a burden. And you'll say a thousand times, oh, I wish I had never done that. I wish I could take it back. I wish I could relive that, relive that hour or that half hour or that 15 minutes. But you can't. It's there. And the finger having written, having written is, is, is written. Now, what are you going to do about it? You can allow it to cast you down and you can live under those circumstances and get discouraged and defeated and be bitter and be away from God all the rest of your life. Or you can make a beeline to the cross and say, Christ, I give you this. I know I'll have to bear the burden of the scar, but I'd rather bear the burden of the scar with you than be out there alone with it. And Jesus will help you. There's forgiveness and cleansing and healing in the Lord. But that burden will be there. Every man must bear his own burden. And then there's the burden of souls. Beloved, if you don't have a burden for lost souls, I'm just grieved. If you can think of a man going to hell, being lost forever, being in that midnight terror and tragedy of lostness forever and forever and forever and it doesn't grasp your heart and burden you and say I want to pray for that person I want to do what I can to try to help him from from sin to the Savior the other day we were in the Empire State Building and looked down at the the millions I think they say there are 14 to 20 millions of people in New York and we looked down they looked like little midgets. The cars looked like toy cars down there. Little people walking around, little people. That looks, that's the way God sees it. And I thought, how many of these 
when they die are going to spend eternity away from God. And I thought, we drove down Broadway. If you've ever done that, it's an it's a amazing experience. From one end of Broadway to the other, there are people, 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 people. Where do they come from? Where do they go? Just thousands of people swarming around, thousands of cars. And they say that 75 to 80 percent of the people in New York City don't know anything about Jesus. We stood in the Washington Monument, as Brother Carl told you a moment ago. And we, we even got the group together and had prayer for the, the nations, our leaders. And we prayer for the lost multitudes of Washington, D.C. If there's not something that grabs your heart about the lostness of men and women, they're on their way to a wasted life. They're on their way to a wasted eternity. That's a burden we need to bear. And God is sharing that burden with us so that we can feel the pulse beat of God. And do you know, I think that's what God does with a mother. And not just mothers, but many ladies who have a burdened heart for people. And somehow, men, ladies seem to be able to have more of a compassionate burden than some of the men of some of us men. And God entrusts with some of the ladies a mother or a sweetheart or a wife or someone who is just concerned about others. There's a burden in your heart that reaches out and it never lets go. Somebody wrote, if I should be hanged on the highest hill, whose love would follow me still? Mother. Now there's a burden for people. A burden for lost souls. And if you're a Christian, you're a saved person, you need to bear that burden. Don't try to get rid of it. God has entrusted you with it so that you could feel like He feels. Your heart reaches out like God's heart reaches out. If you don't have it, ask God for it. Well, I could go on and on, but last of all, let me just lay on your heart the burden of the valley of vision. The burden of the valley of vision. Isaiah 22 says, the burden of the valley of vision. You see, when you have a vision of what God wants with your life, God wants with your work, God wants with your family, God wants with your finances. When you have a burden of what God wants, it becomes a vision. And I want to tell you it becomes a burden because in order to get that vision accomplished, you have to do something. And it's not easy. A man's going to take care of his family, so he has to get up early every morning and go to work, whether he feels like it or doesn't feel like it, because he has a burden of the valley of vision. A man and woman want to have a little child. And so in spiritual and physical agreement, they come together. And there's a little child on the way. And that mother, with a valley, the burden of the valley of vision, looking forward to the coming of that little child, goes through a lot of turmoil and travail. And when the birth comes, it hurts. What are you going to do with that burden? You have to bear it. Every man must bear his own burden. You can't get rid of them. Thank God for burdens. But then you take them to Jesus, and Jesus said, I'll carry the heavier part for you. I'll be with you in it. I may not deliver you out of it, but I'll be with you in it. Are you facing death? I'll be with you in it. Are you facing sorrow? Are you facing loneliness? Are you facing trials? Are you facing tough things? I'll be with you in it. So again, let me just say, take your burden to the Lord. God will help you. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, so good to be in God's house tonight. And I thank you for giving this message with its stumbling tongue. I've tried to lay on the hearts of your people the thing you gave me. 
We pray tonight that someone will have been strengthened. Someone will recognize that these burdens, they're not going to go away. There's a part that we must bear. But help us to share that burden with Jesus and know that you'll carry the heavier part of it. You'll be with us in it. You'll never desert us or leave us. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. I can hear the Savior calling, take thy cross and follow me. 385, page 385. Let's turn there a moment, please. You've been so patient and kind tonight. I didn't mean to preach this long, but I just tell you, I wanted to deliver my soul. God had put these things on my heart to share with you. Now listen, if you're here and you're having to carry a burden and it's been heavy, if you can take it to Jesus right where you stand, do that. Just shift it over on him and say, Lord, you help me with it. Maybe it's a burden of guilt. Maybe it's a burden of sin. Maybe it's a burden of illness, a burden of, of depression. Maybe it's some burden that's never even been mentioned tonight. But God has interpreted to your heart that you have a burden. Take it to the Lord. If he suggests to you that you ought to come and kneel at the altar like the camel does and place that burden there, do it. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you've never given your heart to Christ, I want to ask you to cast that burden of lostness on the Lord. Come to Calvary. He'll cleanse you and forgive you and save you. He'll be your personal Savior. Would you do that? However God has impressed your heart, I can hear the Savior calling, take thy cross and follow me. Number 385, let's sing, and will you step out for Christ as we sing. Uh, they'll sing, what a day that will be, when my Jesus I shall see. I uh, like the way they sing, and it'll be a blessing to us. Now, while they sing, while they sing, if there's another person that has felt God's tug at your heart, and you ought to come and take that stand for the Lord that God has put on your heart. I want you to come. Brother Johnny, where are you? Yeah, you come and stand here. And while the quartet is singing, if there's another person who has heard God speak to your heart and you ought to come, just come. This would be a good invitation while they sing, What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Just stand on here, Brother Johnny. God bless you.